turn it on if you want to, Matt. Thank you. <clears throat> so our subject this morning is eternal security. I hope you uh, understand the subject and know how significant it is. Uh, next week, Lord willing, I'll be doing something related to it, and that is the subject of assurance of salvation. Uh, both of these are very significant. If you don't have an understanding, a doctrinal understanding of eternal security, it's very unlikely you're going to have a solid assurance of your salvation. So this, to me, I think is foundational to that particular subject. Uh, I also have attached to, or will have, in addition to a handout sheet, I will have another handout sheet of a personal testimony of why I think the subject is so very important uh, is as I went through a period of time as a youngster kind of believing I was saved but having a number of doubts and that particular personal experience has been uh, similar to many, many people not just young people who make a profession of faith, but also adults. So we're going to look at that next week, Assurance of Salvation, and we're going to have a little, kind of a little test, questions that you ask yourself that will help bring you, hopefully, to a real confidence that you have salvation. Hopefully you already are assured of it, that you are able to dispel the doubts with scriptural proof and evidences, but that is a very significant subject as well. So let me um, open up in prayer and we're going to dive into it. Heavenly Father, thank you for the wonderful, wonderful salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus. Our hope in him, uh, the one who has provided this gift of eternal life, help us, Lord, to rejoice in this doctrine and rejoice and the fact that we're kept by you, not kept by our own power. And uh, we pray that you give us understanding, illumination, and a greater appreciation for what you have done for us, what you are doing for us, what you will do for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the subject is eternal security. Is a person once saved, always saved? Now I have in front of me... Constitution of Victory Baptist Church. This is not the Bible, but it does have, at least in the doctrinal section, it has some summarized statements of what the believers here at Victory Baptist Church have believed, uh, I believe now, and hopefully will believe in the future. Though it is not a very long statement, as you'll see, it does say this in section 8 in the doctrinal statement. We believe that all believers have their salvation forever guaranteed. And then it has several other verses after that. Now, I'm going to assume that there are other doctrinal statements might expand upon this and maybe even better, more adequately. But anybody who joins as a member uh, this particular ministry has to agree with that statement. Now, it doesn't mean they 
can prove it through a whole bunch of scriptures or give a theological discourse on it, but in essence, they need to believe that. And that's, that's something that hopefully when people join the church, they're going to at least understand the principle that's here. Well, the doctrine of eternal security, the phrase itself, you will not find in Scripture. But the concept is there nevertheless. Now, that shouldn't surprise you if you're a student of Scriptures. You know there are doctrines that we believe that you aren't going to find the word itself. Hopefully you believe in the rapture, but you're not going to find the word rapture technically in the Scripture. I'm going to assume that you believe in the Trinity, but you're going to search the Bible and not find the word Trinity in there, but you're going to believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So just because the word is not used in Scripture, it does not mean the concept is not there. And when we look at this particular doctrine, we are in essence saying that once a person who is truly saved, and I'm going to just emphasize that idea, truly saved, they will never be able to lose their salvation under any condition whatsoever. Right? You can't walk away from salvation. You can't mess up and lose it at any point in time. You can't defect and apostatize and think, oh, you were saved. You lost your salvation. And that is something I'll probably maybe just introduce to you because there are people who see somebody who looks like a Christian, they go through the motions of Christian, they interact with Christians, they even teach Sunday school, preach a message, whatever, and they defect. The technical term for that is they apostatize. And because we can look at that only through a certain lens, through the experience itself, we can think or conclude and wrongly conclude that that person lost their salvation. How could they possibly deny the word of God, deny Jesus Christ, and deny the scriptures as the infallible? How could that possibly be? And yet they believed it before. You know the answer to that one? The answer to that one is they were never saved. Right? Now, you know and are well aware of the fact that Judas was one of the disciples who walked with Jesus, performed miracles along with the rest of the disciples, were under the mentorship of Jesus for three years, and when it came to very close, prior to the Jesus went to the cross, the disciples themselves didn't even realize that Judas was an imposter. You know that? They, they didn't think it was them. They didn't think it was, was Judas. Was Judas saved and then lost his salvation? No. He was not saved to begin with. That leads me to say that we have to realize that there are some times, and maybe all too often, people go through the motions of salvation. They know the lingo. And there may even be some measure of sincerity there. But they also have the potential, if they don't have the Holy Spirit in their life, to defect, and you can go through quite a number of historical cases of individuals who are like this. All right now, 
Uh, not that this is uh, always true, but there are many who actually advocate or promote that one can lose their salvation they use those experiences of individuals who acted like Christians and then defected and apostatized, and they say, see, they lost their salvation. It's faulty thinking. All right. Uh, can a believer do something that will result in a loss of salvation? No, they cannot. So the study of eternal security is not to give security to the individual who's made a profession of salvation and yet does not have a changed life as God's word says it ought to be. It is rather to strengthen the believer's understanding of the grace of God and to encourage that believer to appreciate how great the salvation he or she has. Now here's another uh, point as we're studying this particular subject. And that is that as a person uh, evaluates experientially watching other people and so on, they can come to a, also an erroneous idea or concept uh, that, well, after all, if a person believes in eternal security, then that gives them freedom to go out and sin. They can do anything they want. Well, that's a really very incorrect understanding of the grace of God. What, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, if you are truly a believer, you're not going to use that as an excuse. Well, I'm eternally secure. I have my ticket for heaven so I can go out and do anything I want. Anybody who says that yeah, needs to go back to home plate, use the metaphor, uh, a baseball and go back home play and understand that salvation is not something where you can say, I've got my reservation for heaven. I can do anything I want. And there were individuals in uh, the New Testament era and obviously since then who have believed that it's okay if you believe in Jesus Christ and you keep on sinning. Does anybody know a letter in the New Testament that addresses that issue? Uh, it was found in the New Testament. Yes, Jim. First John. First John is a uh, written by the Apostle John, but it's addressing issue of some who were Gnostics and and some of the Gnostic er believed in erroneous idea that the flesh was uh, was evil. I'm not talking about the ethical sense of the flesh, but the body was evil and the spirit was good. That morphed in a number of different heresies and so on, but there were some who were also purporting that if they had Jesus Christ, they could continue in sin. And John addresses that very succinctly uh, in that particular book of 1 John. That's why you'll see several different times you mention, he who practices sin is not of God, or he has not been born of God. What's he talking about? Was he address He's addressing the issue that people thought they could keep on sinning even after they believed in Jesus Christ. So that's, that's a, bad, a bad teaching that 
floated around in New Testament times and, and still is around today in some areas. All right, so the purpose of eternal security understanding about this is really significant, significantly related to understanding the grace of God and also to help one appreciate what God has done for them. All right, so we're going to study this. So uh, just kind of briefly go through some scripture. I'll make some comments along the way. You certainly can have some questions on this. But just the study of the word eternal makes it clear that is not something that can be stopped. The word appears 78 times in scripture, 42 times it's translated eternal, at least in in James, 25 times translated everlasting, and one time is translated forever. In essence, it means endless duration, infinite duration. Never is the idea of a break or lapse indicated. Now, who can think of some issues related to the doctrine of God that would also emphasize this or related to those who are not believers and go out into eternity without Christ. Can you think of some concepts either related to the character of God or the or the concept related to uh, when a person dies without Christ, right? Somebody give me something related to the word used in relationship to God. It's in theology, doctrine of God, all right? Study of God. Anybody? All right? What's God like? Anybody know what God is like? Go. That's true in relationship to, but let's let's look at the very essence of God. What can you say about this? Now, Jim has the answers, but you got help as well. All right. Anybody else? Yes. Okay. Did you have a beginning? Who said eternal? Dawn. Okay, everlasting Father, he's the eternal one, okay? Now, here it was so basic, so simple. Oh, I knew that, I could have said that. God's nature is eternal. It, he is the everlasting God, the everlasting Father. There are a number of scriptures that talk about that. Now, if we're to water down the concept of everlasting, eternal, that could quickly morph into the fact that God's not an eternal, everlasting God. We're not going to go that direction, obviously, because we believe God is eternal. Okay, Now, he's existed in eternity past. Hard for us to wrap our head around that. If you understand that, please, please let me know how you can figure that one out. But he's always existed. He exists now, and he always will exist. So that's just a very basic concept everlasting related to the very character and nature of God. Now, what 
other concepts are related to eternity, or shall I say, what happens to the destiny of people who are not believers. What happens to them? What's that? But what? But what? Ha, I'll just add, you know, kind of clarify this. What happens to a person, their soul, spirit, last spirit? Well, what happens to them when they die? Anybody have any idea what happens to them? They are, they are eternally separated, not merely annihilated. And their torment goes up forever and ever. Okay, so eternal judgment, casting a lake of fire. And the, the Bible speaks about this. Jesus spoke about it as well. So there is the concept of everlasting is clearly related to God's character. And it's also clearly related to the destiny of those who are not believers. Yes. day and night, forever and ever. So we just come back, without elaborating a whole lot more, we come back to the word itself. The word itself conveys that which goes on and on and on. Now a principle in hermeneutics is a very kind of basic thing, but when you're studying, studying the science of interpretation, there's a little rule of thumb. Plain sense, make sense, seek no other sense, any other sense is nonsense. So if you take the very word that is self and how it is used in scripture, how in the world can you be fair with interpreting scripture and saying, well, there must be some cessation somewhere along the line for this situation or that situation. All right, All right let's move on. All right, so it means endless duration, infinite duration, never is the idea of a break or lapse indicated. Now here we have Jesus teaching on eternal life, and that I believe is clear. Uh, the Bible talks about this in John 3.16. The believer does have everlasting life, and you'll notice in that passage, John 3.16, you're familiar with, it says that he has everlasting life and will not perish. That's pretty emphatic there. So there's a statement, truth. B, the believer is not condemned. John 3.18, he who believes in him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in this name of the Son, only begotten Son of God. We did not see in that verse, he who believes in him is not condemned unless he messes up, unless he sins, you know, grievously, well, then he's going to be recondemned. No, it, it doesn't work that way. No. I would use a parallel, sometimes illustration falls short, but there are people who are criminals and they uh, get incarcerated for a period of time. 
and then hopefully they learn their lesson, but unfortunately the attrition rate of uh, convicts is not too good, and so what happens is they get their freedom, and after getting their freedom, they can't handle their freedom and get caught up with the wrong, wrong crowd and so on, they get caught and they lose that freedom and they have to go back into prison again. Now, we won't get into the injustices of our system uh, uh, right now, that's not the point, but we do, we have to understand that taking those kinds of uh, societal issues, we can't take that and use that as a template over the scriptures when it speaks about a person receiving everlasting life. So the believer is not condemned. The condemnation has been removed. I don't know if I have this one in the, in the passage here, maybe later on Romans, but Romans speaks about this as well. The Apostle Paul speaking of that in Romans chapter 8. But notice, see, the believer shall never thirst, John 4, 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. Not talking about physical thirst, but spiritual thirst, thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So this perpetual inner source of refreshment is there. One spiritual thirst is quenched, obviously, from a positional standpoint, and then practically as one abides in Christ. All right, D, the believer has passed from death unto life, John 5, 24. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death unto life. Now, you would understand the idea of passing from death. Death is separation. A person has been separated from God because of their sin. And then they, at salvation, they are brought into spiritual life. So from a position of separation from God to a life in God, no indication that changes whatsoever. We are translated into the kingdom of God's son. So it's not like, okay, we become alive, but then we die. And then after we, when we sin, and then we have to get it again and again and again. No, doesn't it? That's not the way it is. All right, E. Jesus will never forsake the believer. Don't you love these verses here? John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. One who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. John 6.39, this is the will of the Father who sent me that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Now is that, I mean, just that, those scriptures alone are, are uh, enough for me, okay? Uh, but nevertheless, it, it just cements this idea that once a person has this eternal life or salvation, God's not going to cast them out. Now, I, I realize that some of the arguments where someone will say, well, God's not going to do it, but if you make the wrong choice, you actually walk away from God, so it's your fault. But that has uh, some fuzzy thinking in that, all right?
right? Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a good one there. Yeah, no man is able, exactly, including yourself. Um, do I have this here? I, I'm not sure some of the scriptures come to my mind, but I uh, don't have it here, but and it's not specifically the words of Jesus. Obviously, all scriptures is, is inspired by God, but the Bible talks about us being kept by the power of God. So we're kept by his power. Could anybody keep themselves saved? I mean... Well, uh, no, no, probably not. <laughs> no, no, we can't. And if we lost our salvation, what, what is it that, what kind of sin will we have to do to lose our salvation? <laughs> We'd have to be, you know, what sin is, what kind of sin is something where it's like passes the line, and if you pass this line here, you know, you're going to lose it. Yes, Jim? Yeah, yeah. Yes, right. And don't use, you cannot use that passage of Scripture where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he's saying if a person blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, they could not be forgiven. Well, First of all, he's talking to Pharisees who rejected the light, him being the light right in their presence. That's one issue. The other is, issue related to is if a person keeps on rejecting, hardening themselves against the Spirit of God, how can they be saved? They can't be. So that, in essence, is a they're not going to be forgiven if they don't respond to the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God is significant in order for a person to be able to be saved. So if they're rejecting the light, the Holy Spirit, they can't be saved. So that, it's not talking about loss of salvation there at all. Yes, sir. chasing for Christian and kind of going along with that would be of course uh, the passage of scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where the believers there had the Holy they were right. yeah, yeah. alright so you know we have to distinguish between God's chasing and God's judgment alright let's look at the Next one, uh, verse uh, uh, F, the believer shall live forever, John six fifty one. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. All right, G, no one will be able to take away the salvation. And this is one that, Catherine alluded to, John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. I don't know if it's any man, but anyone, including yourself. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. 
So there's no conditions in there, no exceptions. Um, it's, uh, it's very clear, almost like I'm putting these verses down, thinking this is redundant, saying basically the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And these are not the totality of the scriptures related to this concept. So on the back of your sheet, I believe, in my short, H, all believers shall never die. That is eternally, John eleven twenty six, And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Now, how could Jesus be giving assurance to people and yet, in his mind, he realizes that some people like his disciples are going to fail. And, of course, all disciples are going to fail. And, and saying, like in his mind, well, I'm giving them this promise that they have everlasting life, eternal life. Nobody's going to. But I also realize they're going to probably lose their salvation along the way. They're going to have to ask for salvation again. I'm being a little bit facetious. But nevertheless, I think going back to what Susan said, you know, when God says something and when Jesus says something, we take it and believe it and accept it. All right, so that's, these verses are related to the words of Christ specifically in his earthly ministry, assuring his disciples about this very significant issue uh, from their experience that may have not been clear to them. What error or what dispensation were the disciples in while Jesus was ministering? To use the term dispensation. Anybody know? Was it the church age at that point in time? No, it's in the New Testament. Well, it's not the church age yet. It was preliminary to the church age, and the epistles, of course, give the doctrine of the local church, and there's some piece, bits and pieces there. But it's still under the law. Okay? Now, that's or the Old Testament, including the prophets and so on, is this doctrine of eternal security very clearly laid out in the Old Testament scripture under the law, whatever, Old Testament scripture? Let me know. Great answer to that question. Are there indications of eternal security in the Old Testament? Yes, but is it clearly laid out like it is in the New Testament, like Jesus did? How about things like this? Psalm 51, David's sin. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. There are indications of the Spirit of God coming upon people like Samson or Saul. And then, you know, the Spirit of God laughed and so not to say that there's nothing in the Old Testament about eternal security, but it's very minimal. Job, who was an early patriarch, I know that my Redeemer liveth and he shall stand upon the earth and in my flesh I shall see God. There's an indication of eternal security, but it's very, very small. Not insignificant, but it's very, very small. So would it be unusual for the disciples to not be certain about what would happen to them if Jesus left, and which he's going to leave, 
and you know much of what Jesus is speaking about is not a whole lot uh, before the time he went to the cross. Remember this. They didn't, at this point in time, have what we call the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He said he's with them, but he shall be in them. The permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit took place in the time of transition, book of Acts, you'll see that, where they then received the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to give the assurance of salvation, that we're sealed by the Spirit, we're indwelt by the Spirit, etc., etc. But they wouldn't have had that information, so it would be very appropriate for Jesus to let them know, you have everlasting life, you believe in me. And even though he's going to leave them, as far as this earth is concerned, he's going to send to them the Holy Spirit, who's going to be the comforter, the paraclete, the one who goes beside them and, and, and dwell them for sure, but give them the assurance of salvation that they have. Right? But eternal security could be, a you know, am I really going to be really saved? Is this really it? It would be very appropriate for Christ to do this in his earthly ministry in light of the fact that he is going to be leaving them. All right? Now, here are just a few things. The Apostle Paul's teaching on the subject. Uh, Romans 8, 38 and 39, For I am persuaded neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, Jesus our Lord. So nothing shall be able to separate one from the love of God. Can I make a comment here? Even when a child of God, truly born-again Christian, does not obey God, they allow carnality, they walk in the flesh, not controlled by the Holy Spirit, does that remove them from the love of God? No. In fact, what happens is, and I don't know what Jim said, what happens is because of God's love, he chastens wanting to bring back that believer back into fellowship with again. And, of course, Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3 speaks about this to the churches, you know, about, about the chastening of the Lord. So even when a Christian sins, it doesn't, you're, you're, you're not separated from the love of God. He still loves you, and he's going he's to come after you in a sense to woo you back to him, all right? So nothing can separate one from the love of God. The, the Corinthian believers were involved in many different kinds of sins, yet they still had the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Now we have clear indications in Scripture that the Holy Spirit is actually indwelling them, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. So, not to justify, diminish the seriousness in any way of a believer effecting, going back into the ways of the world or something like that. Uh, they still have the Holy Spirit in their heart. All right, the Corinthian believers 
would be saved even if their works were not what God desired, but they would not receive a reward. And that's what's spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yes, so is through fire. That, to me, that indicates that the salvation is secured. He's just going to lose his rewards. All right, and come back to what was mentioned earlier, Jim. The Corinthian believers were chastened, some to death, but did not lose their salvation. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Can you see the distinctions there between the world of unbelievers and believers? And then Galatians, uh, though listening to a false gospel, were never encouraged to be saved again. And boy, that's a, it's a very powerful indictment upon these believers who are allowing themselves to be deceived by these false Judaizers. And he says this in chapter 1, verse 6, I marvel that you were turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. So they've been listening to these false teachers, getting confused, and they needed to be rebuked. The only, this only I want to, to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of law? Or by the hearing of faith, are you so foolish, having begun the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? So, of course, the Judaizers were coming in, and they were conveying the idea that in order for a person to be right with God, they had to do a certain list of rules and regulations. And never do you find in the book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul saying to these ones who were in Christ, you need to get resaved. You need to be reborn again after you had that new birth. All right? I, I have these scriptures here because when it comes to our evaluation of our life's a life and different ideas that may be floating around, things you hear maybe even certain things you question your mind. One of the safest places to go back to is the scriptures. And the scriptures can solidify your convictions. Remember talking about this? Solidifying it. So, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's some people that could possibly lose their salvation. And you, you, it's not wrong to think that, but you go back to the scriptures and say, no, the scriptures help me understand they cannot lose salvation. Yes. Yes. All right. Now, uh, I did want to make some mention about this, but there are some passages of scripture that if you look at them with a with a glasses on that you can lose your salvation, you're probably going to think that verse is speaking about that. Hebrews chapter 6 has been uh, 
kind of a parking lot or parking place for a lot of people who think you could lose your salvation. In context, in context, context, context is pretty important. There were many in the New Testament era who initially were identifying themselves with Christ, but they didn't all have the Holy Spirit. They saw things going on. They were maybe disillusioned to a certain extent with Judaism. And they kind of went along for the ride, maybe could say similar to the parable of the sower. But then when persecution came and troubles came, there were a number of those who had formerly been part of Judaism went along with Christianity and then life became too tough for them. The persecution started coming and they backed away. They backed away from the very one that they had put their trust in before, at least mentally and maybe even with a measure of sincerity, but they backed away from the very solution to their problem. In essence, by going back to the Judaistic system, the scriptures talk about they were crucifying Christ over again by going back to sacrificing animals, etc., etc. Now, that's the general context of Hebrews chapter 6. It's not speaking about these people were saved. Even the expressions that are used where it says they've become partakers of the Holy Spirit or they've been enlightened by the, by the scriptures. Those words, although it appears to be related to salvation, is not saying that they were indwelt by the Spirit or they had the new birth. Uh, again, you've read about this, you've probably seen it, but in evangelistic meetings, perhaps Sunday school class, some evangelistic crusades, you probably have seen, sometimes dozens or hundreds of people will come forward to those crusades. Uh, I've seen this. I haven't personally been a Billy Graham crusade, but I've seen some you know, this in the past, hundreds, thousands of people will come forward and make a profession and go along with it for a while and then the flower fades. The very thing was the answer, they turn from that answer. And once a person specifically turns away from the work of the Spirit of God in their life, and they begin to go back to like a works type of salvation. While they still have that mindset, they can't be saved. Now, are you saying that God doesn't keep giving people's chances? Yes, he does. But when they have committed themselves to following a work system, then they're enlightened that it's not the work system, and then they go back to the work system while they're still accepting that, can they be saved? 
you understand, we're not talking about losing one's salvation. Even, even the few verses that seem to indicate that, when you look at the context, it's not there. Now let's just bring back another thing from the principle hermeneutics. I gave that little adage that sometimes used, but studying the Bible, there are sometimes some passages that are ambiguous, so we can't, we can't quite figure out what they're at. What you do, and this is a basic principle, is you compare Scripture with Scripture. And when you have dozens and dozens of verses, and I gave some of them, that clearly indicate that you cannot lose your salvation, and then you come up with a small handful of verses that seem like maybe you could lose your salvation. How do you, how do you, what do you conclude about those verses that seem to be ambiguous? What do you conclude? But all you don't understand the context, or have to understand the context, and so in order, and so. To the major body of theology interprets those obscure passages, not the other way around. Does that make sense to you? Some of you are staring at me. The lights are on, but you're not on. I don't want to get into this, but one of the major flaws of Genesis chapter 6 where it talks about these giants and stuff like that, the Nephilim and all and whatever, is that while they're looking at that very, very obscure or kind of confusing passage of Scripture, they make some very dogmatic statements, and they aren't even looking at the New Testament theology about how that Angels are not procreative. That's one issue. They're not looking at that. They also don't look at the fact that the sin nature is not passed through angels. The sin nature is passed through man. So if one interprets Genesis chapter 6 as these angels who wherever came and cohabited with the daughters of men, and you see that word, sons of God, so therefore there must be angels. Be careful. Even though it may appear that way, their body of scripture militates against it because sin nature came through one man, and that went through, not through an angel. All right? Not through angels. Sin nature didn't. Angels don't marry, nor given marriage. Jesus speaks about this as well. Now, again, I know it's not related to the eternal security issue. What I'm saying is, it, if you take that passage of Scripture, it seems somewhat like, oh, I think that's what it is. And you lose sight of the major body of Scripture, you mess up a whole bunch of the subject of soteriology and how the sin nature is passed on. No, you interpret that passage of Scripture based upon the broad Scriptures that are very clear, and you come to the conclusion, I don't understand what that passage is. I don't really quite understand what it is. 
I do know the giants weren't all wiped away because you're going to see them coming up over and over again later on in the, in the kings and so on. So, again, now I got you, you'll be thinking about this all while I'm preaching this morning. Be very careful, though, when it comes to the subject of eternal security that you are looking at the vast body of Scripture where you cannot take it any other way. And that's where you part. That's where your conviction should be. All right. Stimulate your pure minds, right? We are saved, and thank God we are. Never to become an excuse for us to sin. We just say, thank you, Lord, that I'm eternally secure. I'm kept by your power, not by my own. I would lose, I'd have to get saved every day, probably five or six times, maybe more than that. Don't ask my wife how many times I'd have to be saved. Okay, here we go. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these reminders of your truths and help us as we continue to reflect upon uh, the word of God that you would cement our conviction so we won't be just tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Help us, Lord. We need your help. And we thank you and praise you for this wonderful gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So next week, assurance of salvation.